So uh, you can find the scripture reading there. Um, it's a series of scripture readings on the inside of your fold out there. And I'm going to begin reading from uh, Proverbs 18. And there'll be a few from chapter 27 of Proverbs. And then we'll end with a reading from John as well. So let's give our attention to God's word and let's listen to what he has to say to us. Here's God's word to us. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. And from John chapter 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask him to help us to understand what he would have to teach us tonight. The Lord, you have given us your word, and yet we need more. We need your spirit to come, to come and to open our eyes, to soften our hearts, that we might know you, that we might understand you, and that we might get some glimpse of the grace that you give to us in Jesus. Lord, would you be with my friends tonight? I don't, I don't know the majority of their lives. I don't know where they're coming from. But yet, we all share this in common. We desperately need friends. And so would you teach us about what it means to be a friend and how to find and make good friends as well? Lord, would you be with me too in the midst of all my insecurities and funk? Would you help me to communicate clearly and to help me say the things that uh, that would be true to you? And we lift this all up in your name. Amen. Um, May I see the clicker is it somewhere it is here it is i mentioned we're taking a look at friendships and i want to see if uh you turn your eyes to the screen here in a second i'm going to show you something i have in my notes this that friendships are magic friendships are equally tragic having friends long enough if you have them you'll know the joys and the sorrows of both won't you let's take a look at this little clip here and show you a little bit of what friends are like. Sometimes beer commercials say truer things than uh, what churches can say. Let me tell you that. And um, that's a beautiful picture of friendship right there. I cried the first time I saw it. I just loved it. Friends meeting their friend in this moment of need to be with them to dignify him. There it is. You've seen it. It's beautiful. It's one that meets us where we are and loves us for who we are. And I think that we need friendship so badly because, as one series of articles points out, 
You could go to the New York Times, you could go to the Boston Globe, you could go to the Atlantic Monthly, and that's just to name three of about seven or eight that have come out in the last 18 months, highlighting something, telling us about our real need for friendships. Why? Because here it is, that loneliness is one of the most painful experiences a human being can go through. That's what those articles are actually talking about. There's actually a loneliness epidemic in the United States. Did you know that? Some of you are like, yes, I know that, Ryan. I really do know that. Listen to what the former Surgeon General said. He said this, quote, Loneliness causes an insidious type of stress. It leads to chronic inflammation of, your, of certain organs, heart disease, and even diabetes. That's the end of his words. Somebody else goes on to comment this, and maybe most shockingly, loneliness has the same effect on mortality, check this out, as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Same mortality rates. Can you believe it? In other words, we long for connection, don't we? It's something ingrained in who we are, and without it, it kills us. And when you begin to think about some of the reasons why we so long for connection, I think that we, we can see, if we take a look at the culture, some underlying reasons for that. I mean, we live in a culture that downplays in the West. It's not everywhere, but we downplay in the West the communal aspect of life for the individual. I mean, when's the last time that a college student who was graduating going to think about his or her career actually gave serious thought not only to the, the bottom line of the job and what it would pay them, and how good it might be for their, quote, career advancement. When's the last time they said, well, what sort of city could I be in where I could find good friends? And what sort of profession would I be in where I could be a part of a community that loves each other well? You see, we just instinctively know how individualism is trumped in our culture. One writer, Dr. Wesley Hill, in his book, Spiritual Friendship, puts it this way. It's a little bit of an extended quote, but I think you'll get the thrust of it. He writes, quote, The myth of what we might term simply freedom, that's the key word, the myth that the less encumbered and entangled I am, or the less accountable and anchored I am to a particular relationship, the better able I am to find, here it is, my truest self, and secure real happiness. He goes on to say, This myth is so ingrained in our imaginations, I suspect, that it may undergird and nurture all the other myths. And here's his last sentence. It's not hard to see how it strikes at the root of friendship. If your deepest fulfillment is found in personal autonomy, then friendship is more of a liability than it is an asset. How about you? Does that ring true with you at all? The world that you live in? Do you see in your own propensity to wrestle with the tension, this great desire for friendships, to have friends like we've seen on the screen, and that you know deep down that to do so invites something in us that we're not so sure if we can deliver on, or we're not so sure that we want? You see, maybe the last few years... The research is telling us something. You know, by the way, that one of the most watched shows on all of Netflix is a show about friendship. You see, it's about the commitments and the joys of having good friends. I'm talking about a show where friends don't lie. I'm talking, of course, about Stranger Things. 
It's a show about friendship. It's a show about the importance and the beauty of friends. You see, I think the research is actually nailing what the biblical wisdom has been saying for millennia. And that's this, that we need friends. Friends that know us. Friends that stick. And we need to become those sort of friends as well. And I'm going to suggest tonight, as I already have, that unless you understand how to make friends and to be good friends, you simply will not make it through life. So tonight we're going to look at friendships as part of our relationship series, touching on several matters, but I want to just put before you four main points. The first of them is the definition of friendship from these texts, the paradox of friendship. That'll be a fun one to look at. The horizon of friendship, and you get a bonus, bonus point tonight, the source of friendship. So four points instead of three, okay? Definition, paradox horizon and source of friendship. Let's take a look, first of all, at what I mean by the definition of friendship. You see, it's possible right now that some of y'all have 5,000 friends. At least that's what Facebook will tell you. And when that number begins to sink with you for just a moment, you, you, you begin to come up and bump up against uh, a number that's known as, I think it's, I believe it's called the Dunbar number, or Dunbar's number, which suggests, he's a sociologist, cultural anthropologist, who suggests that you're really only able to have about 150 meaningful relationships. And so when you live in the world of Facebook and Instagram and this co- constant culture that we're in with social media and whatnot, it's easy to see, like, wait a second, why do I have all these friends and yet I'm lonely? You see? If that becomes the definition, you begin to experience this gap even more. Well, I think the Bible is going to help us. The Bible is going to tell us that you check, check it out there in verse uh, 18 and 24, the very first proverb written there. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And what this is telling us is it's telling us something about uh, the nature or the definition of friendships. You see, the writer is saying something profound about what a friend really is. He is something more than a mere companion. Now, all friendships are going to start out that way, we would say. But friendships, in the biblical sense, as this is defining it, go something much deeper. Literally, the, the Hebrew here, instead of it being, you know, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, it literally reads, there is one who, is, who loves more tightly than a brother does. What's this saying? Well, in his book, C.S. Lewis, the one that he wrote called The Four Loves, he writes a profound chapter on friendship, and I highly recommend you read it. It is wonderful. It'll make you a better friend. But his point is that friendship is actually a particular type of love. It's not erotic love, that face-to-face love shared between lovers, but rather friends, uh, friendship is a different type of love. And as we'll see later on, both tonight and the rest of the semester as well, the best lovers, even in the biblical sense, are always best friends. So friendship is an under, uh, under, you know, underneath the, 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 the surface relationship that exists here, even in, even in dating relationships and marriage and so on. But I want to show you how they're different. And first of all, I want you to see this, that friends are actually, friendships are open for others to join. Now you think, what does that mean? You see, it's not just a relationship with uh, mere acquaintances. No, true friendships are open to other people joining in. And I I hope to show you why in just a moment. You see, lovers just want two, right? But Eros love just wants two. Two people, that's it. 
but friendships are open to more with each new friendship bringing out something other in the other person. Well, again, in his famous chapter on friendship, Lewis writes about this, and I've kind of explained it. It's a great picture of what I mean by friendships always being open to others being a part of it. There were three dear friends. Uh, well, a man named C.S. Lewis. Uh, they called him Jack. And two other friends, a man named Charles, Charles Williams, and a guy named Ron, who you probably know as J.R.R. Tolkien. The three of them were dear friends. They wrote together. They, they encouraged one another to do their art well. And uh, so, you know, you've got the writer of the Narnia tales and uh, Lord of the Rings writing together. It's just unbelievable. But one day, once something happens, what happens is that their friend Charles dies. And Jack, or C.S. Lewis, thought that he, in light of Charles's death, would actually get more of Ron because Charles was no longer around. But he actually says the different. He says this. He says the opposite was true. He got less of Ron. Why? Here it is. Because there was something in Ron that only Charles could bring out. And when Charles died, that part of Ron died as well. And you see what friendship is, is this ever-opening circle. And we're going to see again why in just a moment that says, I want you in. I want you in. Because you have the potential to bring out something in all of us that would not exist if you were not here. See, do you think of your friendship that way? Friendship, in short, is this. We might say that friendship is two people living shoulder to shoulder, open to others to join in. And y'all, that's radically different than the way most of us think about friendships. I mean, don't we often think about this being a little holy huddle, a little exclusive few? right? That, you know, you might need to try out or audition to sort of get in. And I just want to say, that's going to make you miserable. It's going to make you a horrible friend. And it's actually undercutting what you were made for, the definition of friendship. Secondly, let's take a look at the paradox of friendships. What do I mean by the paradox of friendships? You see, this is a very challenging thing that we see throughout these texts. We don't usually think of friendship as being paradoxical, but as one campus minister, a friend of mine named Kevin, points out, we tend to think of friendships in community as something that can be easily promised, like easily had, like just come to RUF and you'll have community. Let me tell you, that's a lie. Friendships don't work like this. They're not that easy. I wish they were. But anybody who's selling you that is selling you a, bit, a, a bill of goods, Okay. Listen to what I mean. Take a look again at 1824. What do we see? We see one who sticks, right? That a friend sticks closer than a brother. That key word there being sticks. We see in our text here that a friend sticks closer than a brother. And again, you could read in Proverbs 17 about a friend loves at all times. This means that a friend, this is what I want you to see, has willfully decided to stick by you. You see, your parents, they didn't choose you. They got you. They got to stick with you. What the Proverbs are saying is that true friendship knows at its core is that I'm willfully sticking by you. That I'm choosing you as it were for you. To be your friend. To walk alongside you. Life on life. They have no choice. And that means this. Here it is. That what lies at the heart of true friendship is profound, deep commitment. And when you see that, 
the paradox begins to emerge. Why? Here's why it challenges us. This idea undercuts us because, as we think, we think that friendship can be cheaply had. But it's just not true. We live in a day and age where this great paradox begins to emerge. And here's why. You see, at the exact same time that we want this sort of commitment in our relationships, we are so desperately afraid afraid of accountability. Now, y'all know what I'm talking about. We're so desperately afraid of accountability. And here's the thing. You cannot have community without sacrifice. True friendships require it, and they're hard work. And they don't, contrary to popular opinion, just happen. In short, what Proverbs is saying is that real friendship is born out of a commitment, which is accountability to one another. Let me just sort of offer up a warning. I'm telling you that if you are the sort of person that is constantly bailing on people, that's constantly breaking your commitments, and that won't be held accountable when you fail people and let them down, you are driving your friends mad. You are driving them crazy because you're undercutting the very substance of what friendships are to be built on. Let me sort of give you an illustration in this way. Here's the great paradox. We think that if we just get to know each other more, then we'll finally commit to someone. Do you see that? If we can just get to know someone more, then I'll finally commit to you. So I want the fruits of friendship to emerge before I commit to you in the friendship. And what the gospel does is it comes and it flips everything on its head. And it says, no, the benefits of friendship only come after commitments. That commitment and accountability is actually the seedbed of real, rich, and deep and flourishing friendships. Commitment precedes relationship in this way. Let me give you an illustration from a friend of mine. Before he dated his now wife, okay, he decided to sort of buck the conventional wisdom of the day and do something I thought was actually quite radical. He worked on growing a friendship with her first. He committed to that. And here's what they did. They hung out in groups. They went on dates. They did different social events together. And here's the thing. Here's what was interesting. I remember him saying this. He said, I knew enough about her that I wanted to get to know her more. Now, this might be surprising, but he said this. I didn't just think that she was smoking hot when we first started hanging out. But I wanted to trust God that he could handle my emotions and feelings. So instead, I decided to commit to her at the level of friends and see what God did. Within a year, they were married. And over time, he told me, I know at first I wasn't really attracted to her physically and sexually, and that was not what I was used to. But now, because I've gotten to know who she is and what she's like, and I get to see how she treats me and how she loves the Lord, I now think that she is the sexiest woman the total package that I've ever met. Now, do you see that? Now, that's a dating illustration, but it's no less representative of what true friendship is like. But it does expose the paradox of friendships. We are the generation that wants community so bad. Let's get to know each other. We want organic friendships, right? I mean, that's just ordinary parlance on the, on the culture and the, in the college campus. But you understand that we are also the generation of people that will bail on our friends lickety-split. 
Don't call me to account. Don't call me out on something that says, you know, where were you? You said you were going to do something and you didn't do it. And boom, I'm out the door. That's actually what this text is telling us over and over again. That real friendship, real friendship is something that comes about by committing yourself to someone. It's not something that you can just get off the store shelf. And I want you to understand that it really does take commitment to make friendship go. So let's take a look thoroughly at this idea of the horizon of a friendship, which I think will make sense of what I was speaking about earlier. The horizon of, the friend, of friendships. Let's take a look. Lewis notes, C.S. Lewis notes this as well. This is very, very important to understanding the very, what lies at the heart of relationships. It's an extended quote, but I want to read it to you. He writes, The very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. I'll let that sink in. Where the truthful answer, or where the truthful answer to the question, do you see the same truth, would be, I see nothing and I don't care about the truth. I only want a friend. Well, no friendship can arise. There would be nothing for the friendship to be about. And friendship must always be about something. Lewis goes on and he says this. One of the saddest things is for folks who are saying, I just want to have friends. I want to have friends. I want to have friends. But they can never have friends. Do you know why? Because friendship actually has to be about some common interest. Some common horizon that we're on together. And so here's what I want you to know. That friendships are born out of like training for marathons together. And loving flowers together. And loving art and music. And a thousand other things that God has made in this world to enjoy. And Lewis is going to say this in his essay as well. He's going to say friendship is like finding yourself on that horizon, on that same vision, and looking to your left and your right and basically saying, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. That's where true friendship is. I mean, don't you know this, right? I mean, you listen to some band. And then you find out somebody else who you didn't know, right? Knows and listens to the same band and knows the band's music and knows their band members. And you go, man, like, we can be friends. We should be friends. Why? Because you share that common horizon. Now, of course, I think that you can be friends with anyone. But this is especially true for what I would say about Christians. Christians, do you know what that common horizon is for you? It is the gospel and it is the kingdom of God. And I just want to ask you, as we talked about from early on in the semester, who sort of are your gospel posse? Who is your gospel posse that is bringing you to Jesus, reminding you, as it were, over and over again about your character and about you looking more like him? Read that proverb twenty-seven seventeen. Did you catch it? It reads as follows. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. And that is about strengthening one another, sharpening one another in Christian character and conduct. And the sharpening comes about how? Through the friction, right? The friction and the heat of the relationship. That strong character shapes others' character to be strong. That's the point. I mean, if you've ever seen iron rub against iron, you know what happens. And here's the thing I think I might encourage you with. If you already have people in your life doing this, maybe it's at church, maybe it's a community group, maybe it's through your sorority or through your fraternity or for a dorm floor or something, 
I just want to say, look up. You might actually be developing besties and you don't even know it. Because when you have people in your life like this, that will love you like this, ye are by definition friends. You see, your life is headed somewhere. You are being shaped into Christ's very character or you are not. And the question comes, who are the people who have committed to that goal or that telos in your life? You see, it's not about you dating the hottest girl or guy or getting the greatest paycheck or getting the second house at the lake later in life. Who are the people who are saying, I am with you. I am with you to see Christ and His purposes more and more form in your life. A bit of a personal antidote. I've been privileged to have several friends like this in my life. And they are the richest blessings that I could ever ask for. And I just want to say, what are you doing now to find those sort of friends? Because when you come to college, if you were anything like me, you look up and you go, I got people all around me, but I don't know if I have real friends. You know, again, personal anecdote. I'm looking up at about the third year of college and I'm like, man, I've got some killer drinking buddies. I've got some friends who will pound some beers with me on a Friday night. But I don't have any friends. I don't have people who love me like this and are committed to me like this. It's a wonderful time in your life to ask that question. Do you have girlfriends like this? Do you have guy friends like this who are committed to seeing Christ in you formed? And that's where real friendship is had. And we ought to be those sort of friends as well. The last thing I want to say on this point is that friendship will always involve these friendly wounds. And that's what Proverbs 27.6 is telling us, right? Who are the people in your life that you've given permission to say, for them to say hard things to you? Not because they hate you, of course, but because they're being redemptively, they're being redemptively wounding with you. They wound in order to heal. I love what... The um, Oscar Wilde, the writer, wrote, listen to what he writes. He writes this, true friends stab you in the front. You get that, right? I mean, don't we want people, like true friends are the sort of friends that are going to tell you to your face, hey, X, Y, Z. And they're going to do it out of love. And so the question is, who are those friends in your life? Are you forming those sorts of friendships right now that you would have friends that would stab you in the front? And you have the sort of friendship in your life where you would be able to actually stab somebody in the front for their good. That's, that's what the Bible is saying you must have if you want to live wisely in this world. The last thing I want to drive home here is this picture from John 15. And it's this idea of Jesus saying that this, the source of friendship, the idea of where is it that we get it? Where can we find this sort of friendship? Why? Because we know we actually can't be the sort of friends that I've just laid out heretofore. It's impossible. Nobody loves like that. Nobody can actually do it. So how do we find it? And what this text is telling us, that in order to be that sort of friend, you have to have that sort of friend. In order to be the sort of friend for others, you must have the sort of friend I've just articulated for yourself. And what the Gospel is telling us, the good news is telling us, is that Jesus Himself views you as a friend. That's what the text is telling us. Did you catch it? Look right there. It says this. Greater love has no one than this. Verse 13. 
that someone lays down his life for his friends. He goes on, you are my friends. Now, that is getting at something so deep and so profound that we don't even have categories for this. Because what Jesus is saying is that the death, my death on the cross is actually coming to you not just to sort of get you out of hell and into heaven. That's what, we, that's what we often think. But do you know that Jesus bled and died so that y'all would be friends? So that you would have a friend that sticks closer to a brother? So that you would have someone that stands beside you looking at that same horizon, committed to your good? Like, I want you to understand that's part and parcel of what His death is all about. And when you begin to see that Jesus does that, then you understand what the power comes from to actually be a friend like that. You see, the nails, the scorning, the weight of hell itself was about showing you that He didn't just love you, but that He actually liked you too. That He thinks you're the bee's knees, the cat's meow as it were. That He loves you, that He delights in you, and that He would actually want to hang out with you. That's the picture of what the Gospel gives us. And when you begin to see that, that you have that, you now have the power to actually be that sort of friend. Is it without risk? Of course not. Yeah, you'll face rejection. Somebody actually might not like to be your friend. But there's something beautiful about the kindergartner, right? That walks up to somebody on the first day of school, looks them in the eye and says what? You want to be my friend? Yeah, let's be friends. And they work it out over time. And some of y'all know what that's like. And it's absolutely beautiful. Here's the heart of the Gospel. That Jesus treated enemies. He treated enemies like friends. That we would actually become friends. That is so beautiful. And it's right out of Romans chapter 5, verse 10, where it reads this. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Friends, here's the great hope. Not only does the Bible tell us that Jesus is our great husband and we are His bride, not only does the Bible tell us that He is our good shepherd and we are His sheep, not only does the Bible tell us that we are like a building with Christ Himself as the cornerstone, the Bible is telling us that Jesus looks at you like a true friend. A true friend. And that's our great hope for being the sort of friends that begin to work against loneliness in this world and that begin to meet the deepest needs that other people have apart from Christ Himself. Let's pray together. God, we ask that You would take these things and put them deep into our heart. And we ask that You would help us to be this sort of friend and to receive these sort of friends and to create communities of this sort of friendship. For Lord, when our friendship has You as our horizon, we are able to welcome other people into our company with great love because we know that You are the point, not us. And so Lord, would You help us to see that? We ask this all in Your name. Amen.